Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mike Springston FFC Podcast, where we coach you in the Word. Tonight, we're going to look into the way out of mental health issues. And, of course, this would go for anybody who is struggling under the weight of any mental health issue, uh, particularly Christians, but it applies to everybody. So we want to welcome uh, those of you that are our regular downloaders from around the country and around the world. We appreciate you ever so much. want to remind you to contact us at springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministry.com, ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's direct messaging. Also, don't forget my book, I Surrender, available on Amazon or in your local bookstore. So we're going to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to get into the way out of mental health issues. Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We pray that you'll open our eyes that we can see, and our ears that we can hear, and our heart that we can understand what the Word of God is saying. Then let us apply it to our lives so that we can be changed into the image of your dear Son. Jesus, speak to us now and show us through the Holy Spirit what we need to know, do, understand, and demonstrate As you do, we'll receive it, and we will uh, release it to your people, and we will all be changed and corrected and brought into a deeper truth. We praise you for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our High Priest, our Lord, and our Man, and the Godhead. Amen and amen. We live in a world where mental health is a major issue. The things that are said to be happening from an unstable mind Uh, can be quite frightening. Mental health problems are addressed and identified when such things as mass murder, violence of any kind, domestic problems, road rage, or even bullying comes into uh, view. Then there is, of course, the marriage and divorce issue that surely um, creates mental health problems. This comes along with the idea of lust and the pride issues. These are mental health related. The gender identity issue comes under the mental health umbrella as well. Things such as the immigration problem all stem from the mental health of those who are either coming to the country and it weighs upon the mental health of those who are having to receive them. I'm sure we could go on with other hot-button items, but suffice it to say uh, that the mental health issues of our day are plentiful. Now we come into the mental health issues that are indigenous to someone such as the Christian. There is a long history of mental struggles in relation to the light and darkness, can be seen clearly that Satan attacked Eve's thoughts concerning what she had heard God say with regard to the tree. It's also abundantly clear that Adam looked at the bone of his bone and the flesh of his flesh and from a mental perspective couldn't fathom that this one of whom he had brought into such closeness would feed him a curse and think that she did him a favor. Then we see the mental struggles of those in the scripture, some such as Saul, David, Peter, Joseph of of Arimathea, Ananias and Sapphira, and others in scripture. 
Is it any wonder to any of us when we read the scripture and hear Paul, James, and Peter declare their statements concerning how to handle the devil? Paul said in Ephesians 4.27, neither give place to the devil. James in James 4, 7 and 8, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Then Peter in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Then there is the mental health issues that are caused by our propensity to sin. Have we never understood that the Christian is being attacked through his mind? Paul said that we're tempted by common things in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So our minds, we must understand, are constantly under attack, and of that there can be no doubt. But some seem to handle the mental barrage better than others. Some seem to handle it differently based on what triggers the issue. Then there are those who seem normal and all of a sudden explode. Whatever the case at the core of the issue that man in general has is the maintaining of health in their thought life. Now we live in a world that is producing triggers that cause mental instability, mental unsettledness, and mental unworthiness. The media of all kinds, television, print, radio, whatever the case, is producing messaging that triggers mental unsettledness, unworthiness, and instability. The number one trigger, fear. We saw that come to light in the, during the COVID pandemic. We're seeing that again with information concerning the political arena that involves and revolves around the 2024 presidential elections. Fear is a huge mental health problem. Now, they tell us that they want to help us overcome our mental instability. For instance, the mayor of Chicago ran on an, an agenda where he intended to put large sums of money into whatever it takes to help settle the mental health problems of those who live under his jurisdiction. The federal government provides a lot of lip service to this platform as well. In both of these cases, the messaging is clear. We know they are saying that you are sick and you're sick in your thinking. We identify that. So you should feel very comfortable with being mentally unstable because the government understands that. We're here to provide you help. We agree with you. You're not well. Now at the same time we agree with you, they would say, those of you that are not well, we're going to fuel you with information that's going to exacerbate your mental instability. There is going to be impending doom if we don't get back in office. On the other side, if you don't vote them out, we're going to lose our country. If we don't accept, include, and make things equitable 
for everybody in this country than you who don't agree with such are bigots and homophobes and any other name they choose to call you and risk being canceled. Of course, there is the other side. If you accept that, you're living in a state of Sodom and Gomorrah and the wrath of God is upon all of those who do accept such. There is the immigrants. Well, one side would say they're welcome. They're, uh, this country was made on immigration and you should welcome them here as well. And the other side says... Watch out because they're military-age men coming from countries to overthrow the American way of life. And, of course, we've got the disparities and differences on guns. One side says we need to get rid of all guns. We need to have a gun grab. The other side says, well, we need to keep our guns. We need to be able to protect ourselves, so forth and so on. You can see all of this is coming through media, mixed messaging, print, radio, television, wherever it's coming from. And this messaging is causing us and promotes an unsettled and unstable mind. And this is a sad thing, but we could go on and on with the mixed messaging of our day. It produces plenty of mental issues in the minds of way too many people. But you hear the messages and they're clear. They're very clear to you as well. They're steeped in fear. They're steeped in distrust. Why do some people hear these messages and it strikes fear and doubt into their minds to the extent that their wellness comes into question? Well, the answer is they don't have a built-in means to handle the stress of this type of messaging. Now then, beyond that, there is the sin messaging that attacks the mind of men. The idea of thoughts concerning sin, the thoughts concerning the satisfaction of sin, the thoughts concerning the comparisons of my life with the life of a sinner, how much better it appears that he has it, the constant wrestling with visions, ideas, and thoughts of some sort of sin. This is a weight that seems to dangle around the neck of many Christians. Then the weight of the actual sin, you actually do something that you know is wrong. Often the enjoyment of the interaction with sin is tremendous. This most always results in one of two outcomes. The first is that the sin engulfs the individual and they become addicted to it. Things such as drugs, alcohol, sexual sin and perversions and others that become a new way of life. They entered in through their mind, and their mind was engaged and engulfed by the interaction. Is there a way back? Well, of course there is. But the likelihood is that they will never encounter the way back. And even if they do encounter the way back, they will choose the way of the enjoyment and satisfaction of sin and unfortunately probably die before their time. The second is the path of guilt. Now this is a two-edged sword. The individual lives in the clutches of guilt and those who were harmed by their behavior enhance their guilt by holding their sin against them. Now this is a real mental hurdle for the one who wandered away because they find no relief in their natural world. 
And because they don't understand how to process sin, and those that are have been harmed don't understand how to process sin, or they're not saved at all, they found very little relief in the spiritual arena. This is not because there is no relief in the spiritual, but the common day teaching of relief does not open the door for us to understand how to appropriate the acts of Jesus to our lives when we sin beyond our initial orientation to the cross. Our modern day teaching tells us that God loves us, and that's nice, that's good. Not only that, it's, it's true. But when our husband or our wife doesn't love us because of infidelity, uh, the love of God seems to be of so little consequence. Or our modern teaching tells us that grace has forgiven us, and in God's eyes, we are saved and secure again. That does very little good when we're caught in the middle of an addictive behavior. So love and grace, as we have purported them and as they've been taught in the modern-day uh, doctrinal arena, are not the answer to the mental health issues that are present in our day. When the mental health messaging is being done around the clock from so many different stimuli, the one hearing this messaging and feeling this messaging is caught in a conundrum that obscures love and grace as a message of relief. So what? then is the message that matters. Well, let's first look into Paul's conversation with the Lord concerning his thorn in the flesh. Here we can begin to see some answers. First, Second Corinthians 12, 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in his infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecution in distress for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. The thing that causes the anguish to Paul in his mind and in his body may very well have been Alexander the coppersmith's actions that are recorded in 2 Timothy 4.14. This man, according to Paul, did much evil toward him. He warns Timothy to be aware of him because he greatly withstood his words. That means he rose up against Paul and refuted his work, his words, and his ministry. He planted in the mind of many that Paul's message was a lie. I remember seeing this happen in real time a few years ago when a man was caught in infidelity and his wife became this thorn in the flesh to him. And she told the story everywhere she went almost as if it was a badge of honor how she had been mistreated. And so this man found no grace in the natural world that was going to bring him any relief. God still loved him. Grace was still operational, but there was no relief. This is where Paul is. The name Alexander is mentioned by Paul in a number of different places. He's the one who seemed to come into the church but had followed his own devices and lived according to his own flesh. 
So he became a source of opposition to Paul and to his ministry. He opposed the very message of Paul and could have been an influencer of the Roman opposition to Paul's message. Whatever the conditions where Paul uh, were, Paul saw him as a messenger of evil and someone that ministers should be aware of. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, these words, verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works, of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and by and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. And we will persevere, will preserve me unto his kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Now, Paul had gone through this for 14 years. Paul had faced this thorn in the flesh for a period of 14 years. And the answer when the Lord came to him was, Paul, my grace is sufficient. So Paul had to find something out about grace that we don't know, but that he writes about here to Timothy. He said, no man stood with me, but then the Lord stood with me and he strengthened me. That because of me, the, 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 the preaching of the gospel was fully known. Paul found something out about grace. So Paul had prayed that the thorn in the flesh be removed, but the Lord said to Paul, My grace is sufficient, for where you are weak, I am strong. Now, did the Lord say for Paul, because of grace, to just look, Paul, just deal with it? Did the Lord say, When you need me, I, I, I when you come to the end of your rope, tie not in that rope, and I hang on, and I'm going to come on over there? Did he say, when you get to the end of your argument, whenever you have nothing else to say, then I'll step in? Did the Lord say, just don't worry about it, forget about it, it's been 14 years, dear Lord, because of my grace, you'll get through it? Did he say that even though it seems horrible to you and you struggle with it terribly, that my grace will allow you to find a way through it? You just deal with it through grace. Is that what God is saying? So if we see the answers to this issue through the perspective of grace, what are we seeing? We're seeing God's favor to Paul to put up with the evil and to live with the torment and the struggle. Is that what favor does? It has not uh, no legitimate answer to a legitimate question. Is that how love works? The answer is that it is not the answer that was given to Paul. Paul found out what grace was and how grace was to operate. And you're going to say, prove it to me. First, before I do, I'd like to say to all of my grace brethren that the message that's been taught through the modern theology concerning grace has served to restore bondage and captivity to the believer. Your idea of the inclusion that we call once in grace, always in grace, that's been fostered by the teaching, your teaching of grace has simply placed your flock in captivity. Often this captivity rears its head in mental health issues, and when it does, 
They have no means, no answers, no tools to get themselves back on track. Why? Because you told them of a God that loved them and the world. You told them that they live what the, the, the lives they live, they are expressing the love of God. You told them of a God of grace, but that grace does not solve the mental harm that comes from the spirit world or the natural world. You told them that grace secured them, but the opposition says that their sin and their sinful thoughts are damning them. You told them that grace was the thing that would keep them, but their adversary, the devil, is warring in their mind and in their thoughts and ideas. And this seems to be a place where they're condemned. What must they do? As grace seems to carry no power to thwart and resist the attacks upon their mind, that's producing a mental health problem. They struggle with the idea of even the bare facts of are they saved. If I'm saved, why is this mental struggle with sin? Why is there such a mental struggle with how I treat the Holy Ghost? If grace is my answer, then why am I constantly under the attack of the enemy using the same tools? Well, the answer is that Paul found out the answers that grace reveals. First, you must understand, is grace the baseline for the Christian life? In conversation, most Christians would say yes and refer to Ephesians 2.8 as their go-to scripture. However, grace is not the baseline, my friend. Grace is not the basis from which the Christian life operates. Then you would say, then what is? It's blood. Here's the reason that people struggle with the Christian message of our day. They view grace as the point of entry. It's not. The blood is the point of entry. When Jesus said it is finished, he was not referring to his works. He was referring to the part of his work that he accomplished on the cross. Albeit, the most important part why would you say that, Pastor? Because when he died, he expelled the blood of Emmanuel. He was God with us, and he expelled blood into the earth. It is this blood that cries out from the ground. When the blood trail began in the garden and went even deeper in Praetorium, where Jesus was whipped and with a crown of thorns was placed upon his head and proceeded up the Via Della Rosa to Calvary, each drop was of express significance. When he had bled down the tree and into the earth the pools of blood that were shed for the sin of mankind created a cataclysmic event that occurred in the earth. You remember, the rocks cried out, the dead were raised, the tombs were opened, dead men were seen walking in Jerusalem, and the veil was rent from top to bottom. All of these, had, and the earth quaked, all of these were earth's responses to the shedding of the blood of Emmanuel who was a perfect sacrifice. The blood, my friends, is the most powerful force the world has ever known. It destroys kingdom. It brings down kings of darkness. It buckles at the knees the sin that's in man and plunders the sin nature. It is the source of the divine intervention that changes, then transforms an individual into the son or daughter of God. How does it work? CPR. 
It cleanses, purges, and refines. At the cross, one is cleansed. At the tomb, one is purged. At the resurrection, one is refined. In the tabernacle, as a priest, one worships. In the throne room of God, one operates through the blood of the new covenant. As he sits at the man as, as the man of the Godhead bodily, he intercedes with us and communicates with us. This is how the blood works. This is a message that grace, as it is taught, cannot understand. Grace that is taught as a securing operation or grace that is taught as the convention of remaining saved regardless of your lifestyle is a convention that defies the most powerful force the world has ever known. Actually, Hebrews 10.29 exposes this message for us of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Now please allow me to show you an analogy to specify particularly how the blood has become the baseline and to define how both grace and faith came into view once the blood is revealed. Last night my wife looked at my hands and she said, your hands need lotion. And I said, where is the lotion? She said, well, it's in there. I said, I don't want to go in there to get it. So in just a minute, she handed me a tube of lotion. She said, if you don't do something about those hands, they're going to crack and they're going to get sore and it's going to be painful. She handed me the tube of lotion. She said, here you go. Now, the lotion is in my possession, but it is still in the tube. Is the lotion that I'm holding in my hand any good to me? As long as it remains in the tube? Of course not. Of no use. So, there had to be a means to provide what was in the bottle to be released into the outside. I applied pressure to the tube. The force of that pressure caused the content to be pushed out of the opening. That opening has been prepared in the makeup of the bottle. So, I applied the lotion to a specific place. Now then, I have to make an application of it. In itself, placing the lotion upon the required area, but there is still another force that must be appropriated for the application to be spread around in and on my hands to ensure that the application is shared to all of the affected area. So what have I just described? I've described the blood as the part that holds the thing that is required to be placed against the problem. As the blood is revealed, the thing that must be applied 
is brought forward from the blood. Let's say that you need to be saved. The blood for this purpose is revealed. It fell from Jesus from the garden all the way to the cross, went all the way into the tomb. As it is revealed from the blood comes grace. Grace then is applied to the spirit and the mind. Now there must be a means to appropriate what the blood has revealed and what has been applied to both my mind and spirit. Faith is the gift God has given man to be able to appropriate the work of the blood and the application of grace. By this appropriation, man finds forgiveness and healing for his mind and his spirit. This is how the blood serves as the baseline to reveal the application of the gift of grace. When done, the individual believes by appropriating his gift of faith. The outcome is an accomplished action of Jesus and a replicating work of the Holy Spirit. The blood, being the most powerful force in the universe, serves to be used by the Holy Spirit to convict the individual that they need Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sin. When convinced of his work, grace is then applied, and faith appropriates grace. This is the force of the blood and the process by which it operates. Now, when one is saved using this process, the blood, grace, and faith bring the individual into a changed spirit and mind. The change is dramatic because they're brought into light on the spiritual front for the first time. Paul says that they are translated out of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. My, my, what a change. But the work of these three dynamic ingredients designed by the Godhead is far from done. We will utilize this same process to reveal each of the other five parts of the act of Jesus. We will use this process to die to the flesh, be delivered from the sin nature, become working and worshiping priests who can understand how to correctly use the body and the blood of Jesus Christ as our high priest in our moment-by-moment lives. This, of course, does not conclude in the tabernacle. As priests, we use the same process to enter into his lordship as the lesser member of the new covenant that's been developed by the blood of Christ. Here, he the greater and we the lesser, he mediates the new covenant on our behalf. Then we become complete in his position as the man in the Godhead. From here, he intercedes and communicates directly with us through the Holy Spirit. What good news. He's made a process that can bring us into the complete revelation of what it means to actually be in him what it means to actually be in him. This is the dynamic revelation that must be understood for you to come into the freedom that God intended for you to have in Christ. The reason you feel unsettled, unworthy, and unstable is because you've never been properly taught this information. Now that you know, you can access each and every position that Jesus Christ, our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead, Walked. You can become an unstoppable force. How can you do it? 
because you know how to use the process of the blood, grace, and faith, not only to overcome, but to overthrow the devil, to overthrow the mind, to overthrow anything and everything that the devil places in front of you. Now you have a complete toolbox, six steps, six places, six places where salvation worked, all of the phases of grace available to you. Glory to God. This is my way out of mental health issues. Father, I thank you for the word of God. Minister, minister in the heart and mind of your people. I give you glory in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. Well, I'll be back with part two. God bless you. Study this. Consider it. Listen to it. Because if you do, you'll find your way to freedom. You'll find your way to peace. You'll find your way to joy. You'll find your way to the spirit of truth. And you'll find your way to the glory of God. God bless you until we talk again.